Welcome to Leadership of Fools, the leading podcast for leadership conversations. Welcome to the Leadership of Fools. This is the podcast that tries to shine a light on those conversations that don't always get the space they deserve. That's how I'm feeling about it right now, Colin. Uh, speaking of Colin, it's Colin. He's the heart and soul of this podcast and he's here again today. How are you going, Colin? Oh, I'm fantastic again. Thanks, Rick. I'm always glad that you're here. I'd feel like I'd come on the wrong day if you weren't. Absolutely. Um, so uh, you've got a, a conversation for us to tackle today. What are you? What's, what's wetting your whistle? The topic we're going to cover today is getting the right stuff done. And uh, I think it's code for there's a whole lot of stuff going on in this world right at the moment. And... I'm really curious how CEOs, senior leaders, startups actually focus on the core task and make it happen. I'm loving your lackadaisical approach to conversation starters, Colin. That's amazing. Getting stuff done. I like it. That's, <laughs> That's all right. we need. That's all we need to get the going. The right stuff. Yeah, oh, yeah. Not, not just stuff. No. Anyone can right get stuff, stuff done. Yes. How do you get the right stuff done? No um, good stuff. Uh, I'm going to warm up your brain a little bit before we get started, Colin. Um, let's, let's throw a question at you. When have you achieved something that others thought you couldn't or that you doubted yourself? I suspect I raised this in season one. I struggled uh, in my life to back a trailer. <laughs> uh, it's one of the things my dad had taught me to do by actually just role modelling it. Yep. Just say, this is how you do it, son. Yeah. Um, Watch, I'll show you once. That's right. Well, that's it. And um, maybe this was six years ago, I had uh, a leadership program. And I was on workshop one of a three-workshop program, same cohort of people. I ended up telling that story. And when we turned up to workshop three, which was a residential, someone had brought their trailer along oh, and geez. actually had challenged me during the lunchtime break to actually um, to face my demons. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, Kate. Um, face my demons. And I actually succeeded without destroying his trailer, which was a great success. Mm -hmm. So it was outside of my comfort zone and a moment I'm incredibly proud of. Well done, Colin. <laughs> uh, look, I've made a podcasting faux pas. I realised I've launched into a... I've given you a chance to tell an interesting anecdote without introducing the other two people. And they, I feel like they're itching to comment on your story. And yet they feel like, due to podcasting etiquette, they haven't been introduced, so they can't speak. No, right. uh, I'm wanting to know how long I can keep this going. How long can I keep them just in awkward silence? Not much longer, because I like the sound of their voices. Uh, joining us on the podcast today, it's Kate Tenby. Hi, great to be back. Oh, there's that voice, you see? I missed it. I wish... It, what, did you have anything you wanted to say about um, Colin's trailer antics? Oh, I like he stepped up to the challenge. <laughs> That's right, thank you. Uh, and rounding out the podcast today, it's Chris Carroll. Hello, Rick. How's everyone? Thanks for inviting me back, Colin. Pleasure. Wasn't expecting it. So no, pleasant, delight, delight very, for you being back. Very pleasant surprise. <laughs> oh, was, uh, he didn't want you back. It was just a wave of uh, yeah. just listener uh, support came your way. I get that. Colin get had that. to change his whole mind, his whole mindset around you, Chris. Rick, is it okay to revisit season one? I'm just curious. So you did Sandpaper Gate? I did do Sandpaper Gate. That Which, was the week where Australia had its lowest uh, point, Australian cricket at its lowest point. Mm. Yes. Um, interesting topic. Yeah, it was. It was, it was fascinating. Re really, really good. The spin-offs into, into business were, were really quite adjacent, weren't they? Absolutely. And, Kate, you did how many in season one? Three. 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 Topics like? Me Too. Me mm. Too. That was great. That On was the bus. Like... On the bus. Yeah. <laughs> Taking the bus into the arena. Uh, she was the, it was the Kate Tenby juggernaut. Was. She was the backbone of season one, really. And we did uh, customer centricity as and well. And customer centricity. Yeah. 
Uh, well, just to get you going uh, in this podcast, Kate, uh, same question. When have you achieved something that others thought you couldn't or that you doubted yourself? I think the one that springs to mind for me was actually work-related mm-hmm. uh, when I moved to flexible working arrangements. So full-time, then I had one child mm-hmm. and thought, well, this makes sense. I'll just work from 6am to 1pm and I'll have the afternoon and that seems pretty obvious. So simple on paper. So simple on paper. It was a little bit more challenging to execute, yeah. but... At 6am too. So it was... Early. And that, and that suits you typically. It, cert- it also suited the job. Mm-hmm. I was in New York and so we were on a trading desk. Yeah, so the, ti- the, Everyone's the time a worked. Uh, so, but I think the challenge there was actually convincing myself and executing it after I had campaigned mm. for that structure. And I, I managed to oh. you know, keep clients happy have a child, <laughs> return to work after six months yeah, and then actually do it again. Flexible working hours is the backing the trailer of working life really, isn't it? <laughs> uh, what about you, Chris? Uh, what have you achieved? Uh, when have you achieved something that you that others thought you couldn't or that you doubted yourself? Well, I, I, was, I had one answer and then I heard Colin's trailer story which reminded me of a horrendous experience I had of something that I thought I couldn't do and turns out can't do. <laughs> So, so in many ways, it was, it's it they was, were right. It was wakeboarding. Wakeboarding. Oh, wow. Now, unfortunately for our listeners, they can't see me. Unless, do we have a camera here? We don't. <laughs> uh, we we can get a camera out. I don't have the physical um, uh, stature that I think is optimal for wakeboarding. You're thinking the low centre of gravity might I'm be thinking, optimal I'm for thinking, wakeboarding. I'm thinking low centre of gravity. I'm thinking that uh, if, if you're on a, a wakeboard, the wakeboard will still float. Yeah, and sure. It's probably the other element. So you've got more of the basketballer's physique, and quite so, literally. And, it was, and the worst part, it was a gift that someone gave me. It was a voucher. And that person who gave me the gift sat in this speedboat as they watched me <laughs> get yanked, have basically my arms pulled out of my sockets yeah. what felt like 23 consecutive times. Had you done this person wrong? Um, it, you know what? On reflection, <laughs> I suspect I must have. Well, is this some sort of retribution it was disguised horrendous. as a gift? So it probably doesn't answer the question, but I like it. I thought I was going to be. I thought I was going to be bad at it. Yeah, it was. It the, was worse who, than that. Who at the table right now might have that body stature to succeed? I'd, at wakeboarding. At wakeboarding. Oh, I didn't. Kate had to be. Kate had to be the final. Kate's the only one with the physical strength. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so oh, no. Sorry, the upper body strength. Yeah, you've got the strength. Yeah. Like, I'd, yeah. If I had to nominate one of us to go wakeboarding, it would definitely be Kate. A bit like okay, Kate. I'll put it on my Christmas To list. succeed at wakeboarding. Well, I had some, a couple of work things that I, I probably think that I didn't have the self-confidence to do things that played out well. Whether others doubted me or not, I don't think you ever really know. Mm. Uh, but no, it was wakeboarding that still sticks in my mind. Still keeps you awake at night. Absolutely. Awake, awake. In fact, my palms right now. That's sweaty. <laughs> sweaty, just thinking about it. Uh, all right, Colin, uh, it's over to you. Throw us into the deep end of this conversational pool. Getting the right stuff done in an environment. So um, please add to this mix. Uh, in an environment of uh, regulation, uh, if anything, heavier regulation potentially in an environment of movements, um, so where people are looking at not just business but at societal change, uh, in an environment of um, globalisation where there's so much data, like every organisation is trying to become more data savvy but they're also saturated at the same time. For you, Chris, and you, Kate, uh, other things that 
could be a distraction, could be yeah, on yeah. people's minds. So I, I think the other overlay in this is the multi-generational aspect. I don't think the multi-generational aspect in workforces is new. I do think the differences across generations now are probably a little bit more, um, a little bit more diverse. So when I was coming into business, and the frame of reference I had for great leadership is of a generation now versus people coming into business that are chalk and cheese. And so, you know, as I sit in this, what I kind of see myself as strad- straddling, you know, I'm a, I'm a modern leader, but probably a, with a small M because, right. of, because my frame of reference, you know, as I'm being, um, being pushed through this, is that I just think that the generation stuff takes in a bit of what you're saying, but it's just something that I'm really conscious about. Um, Has there been a shift, do you think, from that whole... uh, I get a a sense in the olden days of business, it was um, the ends justify the means kind of mentality. There was less transparency, less scrutiny of governance and all of that, Mm -hmm. Uh, whereas all of that seems to have picked up the transparency and the need to, to not necessarily... The ends don't necessarily justify the means anymore. The way you get to the end result is just as important yeah. uh, in many ways or proving that you uh, haven't blurred the lines. Absolutely true. And the expectation that the, that the emerging generations have on leadership is very different. You know, very much it was uh, you'd follow their lead mm-hmm. and, you, and you'd try and mimic and, and think that that was enough. Mm-hmm. I think now people are looking for a range of different things from leadership that leaders... the expectations are high and immense, and that's not that's not unfair. <laughs> no, no, I think that's okay. Yeah. So, but you've just got to be aware of what the expectations are, yeah. and a little bit what we spoke about in Sandpaper Brigade is what's the best way that I can get a really good feel for culturally, for example, where the business is at, but what the business needs, either consciously or subconsciously. Yeah. I think okay. if you unpack that. There's so many topics to yes. cover off on today. Yes. Um, and I think one thing that you we're coming to in that shifting of generation is the skills that actually are coming to the table, first and foremost. You know, you've got these expectations, but we have a new workforce coming. And how are they skilled in education? And I think the interesting thing that we are seeing this always on and the social media, and but actually what does that translate to in the younger generation graduating and what can they do? So there's enough research around showing that grit is the essence, grit, persistence. And, Resilience. And yeah. Is that something that is people are learning? Is that something that the older generation had? I'm not actually sure either, but what we do know today is that it's needed. You know, and I think the other skill is concentration. Um, I think that ability to be in a zone and that learning that becomes comes when you're in a zone of learning and concentration. Got to find that flow state. That flow state <laughs> is not natural. It's it's interrupted, mm. and I think those two. Yes, it is interrupted. Those yeah. Yeah. two requirements are really well skills rather than requirements. If you have a new workforce coming and they don't have those two capabilities. Then it's really interesting, even when you put on the expectations and the KPIs and the culture, Yes. reconciling that is interesting. But the point is if the new graduates don't have a skill of persistence, grit and concentration, I think it's a real challenge that even if as outstanding leaders we're able to move the noise, to create a clear path about their contribution, very clear work requirements, they don't have the skills. 
So in your world, in, in your mind at this stage, getting those fundamentals, addressing that, that at that fundamental level, the capability or the character traits that people possess in the workplace, no matter how skilled we are at prioritising, it won't necessarily pay off. Well, I think then it needs to be recognised that this is a new... Uh, the, the current environment of social media, the world that we live in, you need those traits more than ever. And it may be something that actually corporates need to help train people in if they haven't got it through their schooling. Yeah, and so it's it's a it's a it's a trait that needs to be schooled. I'm on a couple of um, school boards, and the move to more personalised learning. This is what it's all about. But remember, this is in transition, Mm. and it's interesting. You know, Chris, I'd ask you when your new graduates turn up. How are they demonstrating those traits? Yeah, I think the, the, it's interesting that education systems have really over-indexed on technical skill and technical build. And we're seeing now when we talk about all these things and prioritising is the emotional intelligence requirements. And, you know, we've got a little bit of exposure to a school and, and the, the sort of the direction that they're trying to they're trying to take in the education that can bring someone into the workforce that has a level of emotional intelligence that can meet a basic skill level. Because mm-hmm. when you break it down, <clears throat> excuse me, I wonder if for a lot of jobs that they're not that difficult to do. <laughs> I mean, it re- I mean, I don't want to oversimplify it, but oh, don't show them behind the curtain, on, Chris. You are coached on the job. That's my yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, exactly. Yeah. So and so the technical skills that you come out with education, I. I think the best thing that you can come out of education with is a proven ability to learn. I mean, that's it. Because usually the, it. The, Curiosity. The, the, work, the work that you start doing is light years away from the things you discussed six months ago or in your tutorial because that's life. So if you've got this now, an emerging emotional intelligence with the things, Kate, you described, with, and I'd probably throw in resourcefulness, mm-hmm. then I think you're well set. In terms of priorities, which you touched on, businesses, I think it's incumbent on businesses to be really clear what we're prioritising to. So what is that light on the hill? Mm. And because you, you can prioritise to anything as long as what that thing is is super clear, right, and can be articulated top to bottom. So I think the leadership imperative is making sure that that light on the hill is very well understood. It's got to make sense, right, and it has to be connected with sort of the core DNA of a business. But I think, you know, how we prioritise, we've got a lot of different, you know, um, uh, pulls on our time and we've got to snap back to something. And so I think the, the leadership agenda is making sure that the business always has that that one thing that they can snap back to because that, that helps remove noise. Because I think without that, you can be super easily distracted. And this is what social media and all these things, I think the people coming through now, they're just... You know, I used to think about a couple of things, and again, oversimplifying growing up, but I see kids today, they just have a ton of stuff, a ton of stimulus, mm-hmm. and this is all great. This is wonderful because I, I look forward to what it's going to produce in commerce in my world, mm. but you've got to be able to So why are we doing this? And, but and, part, sorry, go Kate. And I think the manager skill underneath that light is how does it translate to each role that everyone is doing Absolutely true. because often that is the lost link. Yeah. So, yes, we know as an organisation this is where we're all heading, where it's all clear. But worker one, worker two, worker three, down the chain, do they actually know how they're contributing to that? Message dilution. And also how their distractions can be managed. 
Because in the matrix structure, whether it's compliance, whether it's legal, whether it's safety, what there's a whole lot that comes on that worker one, worker two, worker agenda that they're not skilled to manage. So I think that's why that middle management skill of reducing the noise, clarity of contribution, and we can get to which KPIs and it's <laughs> a bit on to what you measure. Is it really what you measure is what you get? Well, we can talk about that. But that the skills and the managers to do that, I think, is paramount. Yeah, I oh. guess part of getting the right stuff done is establishing what the right stuff is um, because half a lot of the problems that people face in terms of distraction is that you're actually a lot of the time distracted. You're involved in virtuous distraction, uh, stuff that you, you're not distracted. You feel like you're accomplishing something, but you're actually being distracted from what you should should be doing but you're doing something that you feel like is contributing to that yeah. but it's actually not because it's it's not established uh what is important um so you're actually distracted by something that can be seen as you're still moving forward when actually you're on a tangent big traps i've seen in bigger businesses is, is everyone thinks that what they're doing is the most important thing oh, for yeah. this organization mm-hmm. yep. and I've, I've come across a few people and i don't and i think the system itself kind of supports that i think it fails but it does, it supports that and it's such a trap. It's a trap. And getting that perspective and context where people, it's a bit the sporting analogy of you know great teams and great role players and understanding that we really need you to play this role and that right now, uh, whether it's this product development or it's this uh, health and safety or this compliance thing, is probably not the right thing right now. Important, get it. But in terms of bringing the orchestra together, We've got to get a greater cohesion. And so I, I've just seen in bigger businesses just that if you ask 10 people what you're working on, tell me on a scale of 1 to 10 how important you think it is for the business. It's 10. Everyone's 10 Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it, Yeah, it's hard. Can, can we stick with this a little longer? Because, is Kate, what I heard you say is the manage, middle management plays a vital role in that connection and the – because I can, I can see that, you know, this the stepping over of each other. They are the, the delicious meat in the corporate <laughs> sandwich. Well, and you're really teaching judgment. It's respect and judgment. So you're all, you've got the light. Everyone's got a job to do. They think they know the connectivity. Then the orchestra starts. <laughs> the games begin and real life starts because it's frenetic, distractions. So you need that middle person who is very close in coaching and helping those that are doing judge. So if the light and is the- being shine, shown shine down from the top then the middle management is like the prism that that light filters through down to the to the lower level Rick you're so, on fire today and so uh, yeah so it's it's how that prism is it's how they are set up it's like to how that message yeah yeah you described diffraction that's exactly right um, and so that message can come, come through Who magnified knew? If, it's, if that middle management is set up right, it can come through magnified or it can come through completely skewed and abstracted if that middle management prism is not calibrated correctly. Guys, I'm going to write a book. Uh. You can write yeah. a book. <laughs> yeah. yeah, a lot of static noise goes through that prism mm. as well. Mm-hmm. Mm. A lot of static noise. So making sure that that middle layer of management again is aligned is again where you sometimes see a bit of drift. I've just got to, I have got excited about the where we've... Um, where we've got to on this topic right now, I know it's not the answer to everything. No, we've solved it. That's right. But it is <laughs> my questions of things like um, being a role player, mm-hmm. uh, rewarding, uh, again, apologies for another sporting metaphor, but re- uh, rewarding the assist rather than the actual goal, like uh, the, you know, 
the um, the moment where I actually make you look good. I set you up for success. And essentially, I think we're talking about a lot of humility uh, and ability to play, not be the centre of attention. And I'm wondering how much that plays out in organisations. Yeah, you got to be careful because leadership often sets the tone and they'll, and they'll celebrate in business the pretty obvious and dumb KPIs. Yeah. Like dumb KPIs, revenue. Example, in a lot of business, what's our revenue doing? Which is, it's, it's so flawed in a narrative in a business. I understand the broader commercial context that you need revenue and you need minimal costs, and you need all those good healthy things. But if all you talk about is these big outcomes, all you'll ever talk about as a, as a coach of a football team, for example, is that player kicking the six goals. And what does that leave 17 other players feeling like? And so leaders have got to understand what are the sort of the upstream pieces of gold that happen in business that we just need to broadcast and celebrate and connect dots for people who probably don't spend a whole lot of time thinking about what, I don't know, the finance and billing department do. I think I kind of know what they do. but They I do don't, finance I, and billing. That's yeah, what I reckon. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know that they actually... How do they contribute, right? So... That's the, I think that's important that you actually just call those things out. Okay, and it's recognising yeah. the process. <laughs> Revenue, assets raised, whatever you – they're outcomes in my view. Yes. Uh, and you never – it's like studying and it's the same analogy on the learning. Yes. It's actually the marks are an outcome. Yes. What is it that we want people to feel good about every day in what they've contributed in the process? And it's creating the guidance – in that. I also think that comes back to the persistence too, because these are long building businesses and running, but they're long dated games. And so if all we're measuring is a six monthly or a 10 year revenue line, we've just said that a lot of this new generation are needing a, a zap faster. Instantaneous. Instantaneous. Feedback. So how do we do this instantaneous feedback that's going to match with these longer term goals? It we is. can do it by uh, celebrating inputs. Yes, yes. Yes. Rather than outcomes. Yes. Because in, at this table we get the sense of it's a long game, the outcome game. Mm. Yeah, it is a long game. And I think we touched a little about this before is just sort of the, the cycle of business. Yes. The cycle of business feels to me is getting shorter you know, about expectations and forecasts. And, uh, and I'm just watching Elon Musk two days ago talk about privatising his business and, and just the, the short sellers lost $1.1 billion dollars. In a in a tweet, so that's a pretty short cycle. It's a short cycle. Mm. In a tweet, it didn't. Even, it, I don't think he used the whole one forty characters either. <laughs> he didn't it was a in seventy. What do you say? I think about making Tesla private. More details to come, or something like that. And, and the short sellers got whacked. But you know, how do you balance long term and short term objectives? And you know, how much does long term? How much do people think about long term? And again, this generational stuff, I'm not sure they think that much about it. They don't think about 10-year careers at businesses. If they get 12 months, great. And then we'll pop my head back up and see what's out there and hop along. So a business in itself has a long-term, you know, a going concern, we've got to do this. But a lot of the participants probably don't sign up to the same sort of duration of, a, of bigger, longer-term KPIs. This is fascinating. But we all fascinating. know yeah. that real value is created with some persistence. I'm not sure how you can affect your customer in 12 months, a little bit, but you're really not going to move a franchise in 12 months. And the value to have people who are at it longer than 12 months is just paramount. 
you know, the switching know cost of employees, etc. So it's easy to say, oh, well, we'll just have this workforce that will come in and out and in and out. But that will yeah, lose the essence of, well, actually they worked out what um, accounts was doing. And they actually made some relationships in that, and that the connectivity and the re- the relationship piece of building a workforce is lost if you've got this. Yeah, you need trans- a core culture. Yeah, because uh, yeah, you lose so much knowledge, uh, mm-hmm. but through the through the cracks when you're churning and burning, uh, through staff uh, that you don't even realise. You know what I mean? Um, oh, true. Uh, and so there's, but there is also the benefits of getting fresh energy in. But it's finding that balance, or the whole thing with business is balance. That's Sort of every conversation I have on this podcast, I feel like it's all about balance. Uh, I'm going to change the name of this podcast to The Leadership of Balance. Okay, what's your experience with um, high performers, so top talent, and their uh, levels of patience? There's a high level of urgency to achieve the next thing and I actually, Holly Ramson, who many of you will know around the table, had a great analogy actually of how it's all back to video games and the next level, the next level. (laughs) And I I hadn't thought of that analogy. You know, the idea that, you know, on Fortnite, I've Mm. killed three people, I'm up to the next level, I'm on the next level. So Mm. I thought it was quite a good analogy, you know. Um, I think it comes back to managing expectations again and and conversations to explain it with a little bit more complexity. That in fact, just because you've done three things and an outcome, the next level is actually not ready. You're not ready for the next level because there's part B and C and D in the current level. That if you don't stay in that current level long enough, you really won't explore it and you won't add the additional value to the business. Oh, you need more hit points. Yeah, so that's the, the com- I think it's conversation of high performers. You all about wanting to broaden their skills, and then you've but got it's your- not necessarily the next level. No. And you've it's- got your talent acquisition people out there, um, and probably not necessarily their fault, but making promises. Uh, come and join us. This is mm-hmm. This is what we promise you and the moment they join uh, you either disappoint them and they're going to leave anyway or they're going to um, yeah, do something else. Yeah, it's tough It's tough for businesses, certainly in some sectors where there's a war on talent. Yeah. You know, the, the talent, it's a you know, it's a buyer's market and so the talent can really put pressure on business to say, listen, you know, I don't think I'm getting what I need here and I might just skip across and so the businesses and I'm kind of in this space a little bit now is we're just over-indexing our our EVP, our employee value proposition, as hard as we can, mm. only because I think that is the only chance we have to create a real difference mm. between ourselves and and other like businesses. So how do I how do I give someone the the sense of growth or rapid growth or I'm climbing that ladder, whilst also trying to maintain that they do more than one lap of the block? Because the value for the business certainly. If you lead a business, is I, I get real value from people who, who just know things to be true. And you don't know things to be true after one lap of the block. That, yeah. And the, I like your one lap of the block. That's what you, I... You've done a lap sort of the block. Part think, B, C and yeah. D. Yeah. I've done a lap of the block, so where's the next level? Well, yeah. the value comes from your, actually your second lap. Persistence. Yeah, yeah you've and got the, to... Uh, with the video game analogy, you've got to recognise the difference between achievement unlocked and levelling <laughs> up. Uh, a lot of people confuse oh, the two. Healthy. I like, like it. Like, just because you've unlocked three achievements doesn't mean you've leveled up. Often you can go around a level on a video game and unlock achievements quickly, but you're not going to level up until you've done the hard grind and, and got all the experience points that you need from that level to level up. But you, uh, people confuse the two. The other piece that I think in this is 
moving the conversation around what the organisation can do for the person, the high achiever, to what does the high achiever want to achieve? And then you put it in their first person. And if they start articulating, these are the skills that I, I would like to develop or this is my path, you then are changing the conversation around what the laps mean. Instead of talking about laps, you then say, okay, I would like to extend my communication skills or my exposure to... So you're really designing roles as you go to ensure they're engaged. Which maybe also means uh, we need to absolutely go out of our way to reward the learning process and celebrating that even more. So, um, And here's the leverage points, things not only like video games, that, that analogy, but that analogy of agile learning loops and... You know, we're actually saying uh, we, we want you to try, we, we can accept you failing as long as you leverage the learning f that comes from that. Um, I just wonder whether that's one thing I think we could put in the spotlight and the other thing we perhaps need to put in the spotlight is to have a much more authentic and real conversation about the expectations. Um, so maybe your EVP, I'm looking at you, Chris, right now, could stand out from the crowd because of not the uh, unrealistic promises you could make but the authentic, real no, commitment you could make. Yeah, I completely agree. It, it needs to be real and very tangible. And so um, a lot of people need to, you know, I need to see it. I need to understand that. So, yeah, you just need to work really hard with that top talent uh, to, A, yes, agree, we've got to have a broad conversation. And leadership is, we've been around the block. And I remember I was very impatient, super impatient. Um, no. At, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah, as it turns out. So, and then, and then it's only now I, I understand there is just some things you just got to go through, like wakeboarding. That's like wake. Yeah, you just got to go through yeah, that one. But it's that's a hard message to hear. <laughs> it's a it's a very rational, and thoughtful message to deliver from someone who has got the experience. But that whole thing of what would you tell your younger self? I just I just say it's like, just slow down. It'll, you know that it'll be okay, but just slow down but there was just this and I did I think that that energy and that ambition and that impatience I think if channeled always appropriately was a very good sort of fuel for the I for still career give me that group of people give me the ambitious group of yeah, people right. every single time right. to to lead right. um, but that's the challenge of the for the leader to You'd rather Arnas. channel enthusiasm than try to uh, uh, the in, yeah. get cut through on on we. It's a yeah, it's a lot easier. A lot easier work with someone who has a lot of drive. It's that. It's that. Yeah, it's a bit like you, you know you think about your talent pool and you've got you know your top right hand boxes and you think well what can we do for them, and then you've got the bottom left, and that's a very different discussion. But it's again that you can be really clear about that group. It's the Big middle bit. The eighty percent who, who turn up drive yeah. the organisation. Are they doing enough? Are they probably are they. Is there much discretionary effort? Probably not. That's the group for me that I you know I circle a lot, thinking about what unlocks, what sends them in one of the two camps. Because I'd love to move in one of the two camps. What's your view on what does unlock that value? Oh, it's case by case, unfortunately, which goes back to personal motivations. Mm. And and back to relationships yeah. and a manager. That's the power of managers to unlock. That's what they're paid for. 
That's what good managers are to unlock some of that 80%. And that, that's where... People don't leave the businesses, they leave their leaders. Yeah, and yeah. The, the push for strong culture is where you start to get, you know, a, in, an increase from that 80%. If they feel like they're part of a strong culture, then naturally you're going to get an extra, you know, you, you're always just trying to nudge those extra percents out of that 80%, that's you right. know, just that extra bit of enthusiasm and engagement. And that's uh, where that push for a strong culture comes in because that's, where you can really affect that 80% to give more. People love a checklist. If we had to make a checklist for three levels, one level is how should you educate yourself? Like, you know, the the, the younger self, the, the, the person finishing VCE today that has choices about what they next do before they enter the... A workforce in a serious well, way. I think we can all agree that playing video games is the key. It uh, from is what the we've key. discussed here today, you just got to play more and more video games and understand how they work. Come on, Sh- kids. Shout out to my 16-year-old <laughs> son. You're on the right track. Yeah. <laughs> and if learning. you didn't hear, that was a deep breath from me. <laughs> <laughs> so let's st- stay there. I've got three questions yes. to ask, got three layers. So the first one is what, what would we... Invite them to at least consider work on your re- resilience. Grit, Pers- grit, persistence, resilience. Secondly, work on finding your zone, being learning what it is like and what it feels like to be learning in the zone. So concentration, mm. removing the, distractions. Right, the, the, the experiencing of genuine flow. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you used the word resourcefulness like, like as well. Resourcefulness and adaptability. I think it's in the in the way work is going. Um, we've started with flexible, but I I think that's just the tip of the iceberg. I think you know flexible hours is one. That we'll look back at flexible hours and be, and be like, what, why did it take us so long? Because yeah. there'll be flexible working at home and you you roll it forward. So I think that sort of uh, adaptability okay. and resourcefulness, because I think those folks who can bring what aren't natural clusters of things together will create wonderful things. Yeah. Got to be but business that's, MacGyvers. That's re- yeah, that's exactly right. Yep. Yeah, MacGyvers. <laughs> so um, let me go to the other end of the scale. So you reach an executive CEO level, a board level, and we started to talk about the shining of the light. So what's the checklist around that? What's the f- what are the fundamentals that those people need to be focused on? In terms of the people who are there to create the light? Well, I'm, I'm almost going back to the fundamental question, how can we get the right stuff done, okay? So one of the things both of you said quite early in the piece is uh, we, we risk, in fact, with, without clarity, without a, you know, a picture of where we're going, at least some spotlight on the top of the hill, we're going to get lost pretty quickly. Um, so what are we actually asking of those people? Okay. I think it's twofold. One is create the direction and it's not singular revenue-wise assets raised. What are the three or four metrics that we're all shooting for? I like that. And the reason I like that is it's not the obvious things and it's not the obvious things that were 20 years ago. It's the lead indicators. It's the hidden gems, hidden gold. Yeah. And that will be supported by your mission. Yes. But your values are paramount. And values aren't, to use the cliche, they're not the thing that sits on the wall. What are the norms? What are the cultural norms that are acceptable and not acceptable within an organisation? And that needs to start at the board level and the CEO level. 
and then how are they lived values and lived norms within the organisation? We'll get to that. But yeah. they're the two. I think the businesses need to do a better job of calling out groups or individuals that, that aren't aligned to the values or the right. norms of a business yep. that are collaborative. That mm. A lot of businesses have been willing to accept deviation mm-hmm. because it's a hard conversation. Yeah. And the, the other thing that leaders need to be able to do is walk towards attention and say to some, this is, these things aren't acceptable. So I, do, I guarantee there are listeners to this who are living with a situation, a team member or a colleague, and, they, and they've just been circling an issue. Absolutely. It's the human condition. It's no one's fault because we, 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 we don't like uncomfortable conversations. But if one person from this podcast can just have that uncomfortable conversation, obviously earlier than later, then I just think it, it just changes that trajectory of either the way they think about their work or their team thinks about the work or how those two teams might now start to collaborate. I just guarantee everyone's putting off a tough conversation at some point. The third level, which I anticipate could be the trickiest to come up with a checklist for, is that um, middle management, middle leadership group. And I'm empathetic with that group in particular because they are often sandwiched. in between but that's the part of the sandwich mate that's that, right. that middle part of the sandwich is where the sandwich is at without that it's just two bits of bread that's right. it's <laughs> but even the saying middle management yes. is a derogatory yep. it is it is it, it, and to Kate's point I, I feel they, they like play a right vital now, role just so, so let's not undermine that role I wonder whether we are articulating as clearly as we need to what that role actually is and what that role needs to be so um, yeah, that I- role is like any role in an organisation. You are a doer and you are also a leader. Yes. And as a leader, you need to be coached. <laughs> so I actually think it comes back to the CEO, the, the level above, whether it's CEO or how many reports, they need to be coaching that, whether middle management, I totally agree with you, it's not the right term, but what we're saying, those implementers of the vision and the strategy. Mm-hmm. So if they're not being coached, how are they going to then coach effectively work of three, four, five? Right? So to me, it comes down to I do have uh, sympathy for that middle management, but the buck actually stops with the CEO and the board to make sure that there's enough coaching in for that middle management so they're equipped with the clarity but also the skills to then coach the next level down. They sometimes fall in a bit of a crack because, yeah. you know, in, in, in business terms there's love affairs with CEOs and you, you read the fin each day and you, you, it's all about these leaders and what yeah. they've done. And then obviously most recently this whole customer centricity, then now there's a big love affair with front lines of yes. big service delivery business. Yes. It's all about the front line. But who's talking about... A message from a leader to a front line will either get enhanced, accelerated... Or it'll get diffracted mm-hmm. and sprayed around, diluted. At, yeah, at that level, yes. and we don't. I, you know, I think I'm guilty of this. I talk about the layer in our business being incredibly important, but I don't. I'm just reflecting now. I don't think that I've articulated well enough why. And yes. that it links to the topic of getting the right stuff done mm. because they're in the detail mm. with the people who, at the other level, that are, is getting the stuff. So if you don't have that. The, the ability there to coach on judgment, because that's what it's all about, right? You're just judging what's more important than the other thing. If they don't have the skills, then that's why it's all lost. Exactly the part of the business where you get the greatest clash of priorities. Because mm-hmm. leadership's really clear, because usually oh, boards a- and CEOs, it's these five things. And it's usually, 
their pays linked to it. And and someone who's who's on the tools at the front line talking to customers, their remit's pretty tight. Yeah, because because they're responding, they're and seeing we, the and response. If they say something wrong to a customer that could end up in legal, you know that never happens. So they get trained on it exactly how this how we can do this robotic action. But it's the middle is most ambiguous, potentially. And you use that word judgment, and that's the right word. Um, the, the reason it's ambiguous is where you know, I've said this so many times, but it's the cliche of choosing between right and right. That's that's the, that's the ground you're in. And I and there's all these other messaging coming out. We need to stand out from the crowd. Like I can tell you how many uh, organisations I go into. If I'm speaking to someone at that sort of middle level of an organisation, they're saying, "Colin, help us to create the brand of our team. Help." my own personal brand as a leader, help us to tell a stronger narrative. Um, and at some level, I think that's a crying out for, we, everyone else is standing out, how do I stand out too? Celebrating a role player just doesn't play out, doesn't come into mind. Um, and therefore it comes back to the leader. Yep. To I, his team or her team as CEO is that group. Yes. And how do you manage those personalities, those norms, what is you know, rewarded and what is celebrated? What is tolerated? What isn't? I was with a. Um, I was in a facilitated workshop, facilitating a workshop yesterday, and I, I was struck by one comment from a, quite a senior person in that room who said, "I think we've all lost sight of who we actually work for." Um, and uh, she said, "When I go around our organisation, everyone says I'm the best at this. I'm the best at this. I've chosen this industry. I've chosen this career." And they've chosen their functional careers and they've lost sight of who they've actually, who's actually allowing them to do that. Who's actually, um, so there's some, I don't know, there's some fascinating things that are but playing out. That comes out. to the shared mindset. Right. So really what buy-in. And whose role is that? Well, what buy-in do I have on a shared mindset if I'm remunerated and I'm rewarded for my, my division, whether it's compliance, whether it's legal, whether it's production, whatever it is. Yeah. I don't have a shared mindset. And that's why likes of equity ownership, you know, different shared KPIs or remuneration, the essence of you trying to help that. Yeah. If you can have a success in isolation that's not linked into the bigger picture, then that you're never going to buy into the bigger picture because you can just sit in your silo and be happy with what you've accomplished, I guess. And this is the story of, again, a story we've shared in season one around the stand-up comedian versus the yes. impro troupe. That's right. Yes, uh, being happy with being able to forge your own little uh, nook and be happy treading in that water or being involved in a team and contributing to other people's success and all of that. So, yeah, and mm. buying and that buying to team success as opposed to individual accomplishments, for sure. And the, the thing I love about that narrative and that culture is I get celebrated when I'm invited back to join another team. So I get renowned even across the world mm. as a as a brilliant team player, mm -hmm. not the best, funniest, I'm the best team player. Um, I want to change this conversation ever so slightly and then maybe lift it back to up to where we were and you know find a way of actually grounding this or you know, having something to take away. Mm -hmm. In this room, I have um, people who others would look at and say, you've been a success, you are a success, you've done amazing things. Uh, you've had a great career. Um, how do we all get things done? I'm going to look at you first, Kate. Um, even something you just said before, I'm on two school, bo school boards. 
I know you've been on Survivor. I know you've been an international executive. You still are. I now you know you're involved in a startup. I know you mentor me, <laughs> like written phone calls. So how do you? And you're a parent, <laughs> and you're a wife, and you're a I'm a friend, good wife, by the way. Podcast, and a, good wife. and a podcast, podcast expert. So how do you get stuff, the right stuff done? For me, I never lack motivation. So I do have a love of learning. So I think that underpins the – I have a curiosity. So uh, then what follows from that is focus. And I think in moving out of a corporate world where, you know, with Goldman's for – 17 years, very clear majority of your life is that. That's sort of given to you. Going into an office, you're given that focus. So I, I found that quite straightforward. Moving outside of that into working with a startup in London where everyone's asleep when I'm awake, as well as building a portfolio of other things, that's when I'm really trying to hone the skills of the focus. Uh, one thing is I try to contribute to my main event knowing what the main event is. Right. So, and the main event is the startup and the work. So there is, that's the majority of my day, you know, because yes. I think something is, you can have thinking time and all that, but you've got to make sure you are contributing the majority of your time to one thing, to be very so clear be about that. that would be problematic if you end up spending more time doing other yeah. things. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Like a portfolio approach. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But, but there is a main event. I know the main event. Yeah. For me, I've got to know the main event and then working out how the other things fit in around the main event. Now, what you find is everything contributes to everything and that's the interesting thing the older you get, right? Having this conversation and thinking about leadership and Chris even said it, you were reflecting on yourself in this conversation. So you do find it all, but actually getting stuff done, it actually requires time. Mm. So the other secret is, as we all know, work takes work. Yeah. Reading takes reading time. Thinking takes thinking time. So acknowledging that you need to create blocks of time to do that. Uh, it doesn't just happen on the fly, I, I, that, not for me anyway. Um, and then in that time of what is allocated, whether it's to affirmative investment management or whether it's to a podcast, being present in that time. Yes. I'm very good at that and I think I've always been good at that, of um, putting in the when I'm here, thinking about this, this is what I'm thinking about. Mm -hmm. But because I know I have an allocated amount of time to the other tasks in my diary in different times. So protective of time, I think, is is the key for me. Chris, a father, oh, position as much as I know, a father, a husband, a CEO, a CEO of a um, European-owned global business, a uh, vested, a continued interest in things like sports, um, friendships. Wakeboarding. Not quite as impressive as Kate when you. <laughs> you I know, but I know you were I'm reaching. Doing my best. Yeah, you. Would, I mean, there's a bunch of other stuff. I'm happy to shoot myself. Sorry, we haven't got to me yet, Chris. You, you just. You no, that's feel okay. I feel here's a tough position because I, I think Kate uh, really nailed the answer. So I'm going to fumble around it and probably just say focus. Another word that's sort of got a bad brand is discipline, and discipline is oh, it's so old-fashioned. Well. I'm sorry, but discipline's probably the old-fashioned version, probably the, the um, grittier version of focus. And I think discipline is very important. Um, so all the things that Kate said I'd, I'd endorse, I'd just amplify just personally about discipline and effort, rewarding effort. 
we talk at home about effort with our daughter at school. It's just live. It's just about your effort, and we'll worry about report cards later. It's just, do you think, do you try it as hard as you could? And we say that in careers, and when I look back at the things that I've done, it's just because usually liked it, really enjoyed it. To Kate's point about curiosity, but it just you just got to work hard. I'd love to be able to be a little bit more sophisticated about it and yeah. and throw this incredible thing into to all your listeners. But <laughs> and people know whether they're working hard or not. Yeah. They just know, yeah. and they don't. People don't often like to say, "I haven't, I haven't." But I, I think when people put their head down on the pillow, they know. Did I give it a real go today? Yeah. Mm. And I think what underpins all of that is: Are you doing what really interests you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, interest mightn't be passion. I'm not. I don't. No, I'm not sure we all have to sit and work in what is passionate but is there something in what you were doing might be at a very low level that actually sparks your interest because that actually is an easy starting point Hmm. because then you can go from that platform to put in your best effort i think another thing is what's very powerful i've found with impressive people has been their self-awareness is understanding what i like to do and what i don't like to do, understanding what I'm good at and what I'm really not good at. And hopefully the things that you don't like to do and you're not good at come together so you can just avoid those. But the things that you like to do, hopefully you're good at it and usually you are. And just being really clear on those mentally as well. Mm. Rick Brown, host of Leadership of Fools, improviser, uh, farmer. Reese, farmer, husband. A farmer. Fa- I'm a farmer. No. Father. <laughs> uh, I play outdoor cricket. Outdoor uh, cricket. I, I can solve the Rubik's Cube in under like five minutes. Um, it you're takes, actually you know. a bit of a Scrabble champion, is that? No, no, but maybe uh, I should focus on that. Um, crosswords? Uh, yeah, I like a crossword, but I'm not like I'm not that great at it, but I like them. Um, roller derby? Uh, I watch roller derby for sure, and um, and I seem to be successfully breeding a lot of future roller derby <laughs> champions. You're like a roller derby stud. Yeah, that's what I am. <laughs> uh, I've got roller derby jeans ready to pass on. Um, what else, Colin? Uh, geez, I'm. I mean, I'm. I'm. I can say several words in French and Italian and Dutch. You know, I because I've been to all those countries, so I learnt just enough to to say hello to people. I mean, that's almost multilingual in many ways. Uh, my bio is. I mean, we could go on for hours with my accomplishments, um, but that's enough for now. Um, and as a, as a, as an improviser, as a performer, I think that probably the it's it's no mystery. It's resilience is key because you get knocked down a lot. Um, <laughs> anyone who survives in the industry has had their fair share of setbacks. Performing and, arts, and, um, yes. The it's a it's it, auditions. You, you need a tough skin. Yeah, you need to be. You need to have a lot of people judging you to your face and telling you that you're you're not what they're looking for. <laughs> um, you just need to be better. That's all you need to be. Um, <laughs> That's the feedback you get a lot. Just be better. Um, so resilience is key. Persistence is key. And um, being open is huge. Being open to um, opportunities that come your way. Great. Being That's aware great. That, you, that there's more to learn and that you need to be open to developing yourself in ways you weren't necessarily expecting. Um, and and being really dedicated to creating opportunities and not waiting for opportunities. We might take a break. We might take a break, come back and uh, try and share what we think uh, people could take away. Okay, you were just saying it's hard. It's bloody hard to be in those middle leadership type roles. Yes, I think it is. You, as a graduate, that you're doing the job that you're told to do 
it's all exciting. You mightn't have found the right place, but you're focused on the task at hand. If you're in leadership, you're, you are creating senior, the light. Senior leadership, yep. CEO, senior head of divisions, you are creating the light. You might be you know, helping reduce some of the noise, but your, your star, you are known. But if you're in the middle management, it is busy. And it's a bit, I was saying, like roller derby. <laughs> How do you release yourself from the pack? So it's competitive, but really, have you got the skills to release yourself? You're accountable up, you're accountable down. You it's can, Yeah, you've got to pivot, tough. but you're up in a range of angles. You're, now, you're often taking direction from a range of senior people in a business and then and then it comes down, you've got, to, you've got a team, you've got to, how do I balance directionally what we've got to do with what the business has got to do with my direct leader saying, but perhaps what their peer who I'm sort of, I'm a, I'm a service provider to and I've got to provide. And you've often got um, the highest, uh, probably the highest pressure financially. Yes. You know, that age group often stepped into a mortgage. You've probably yeah, sleep so deprived. Li- life pressures. You've probably yeah. sleep deprived because you probably have some young kids. Mm-hmm. You might be going through family issues. You, you, you roller skate. Your yeah. training wheels are off yeah. and you're doing real life stuff yeah. as and well the, at the back. Yeah, the and you're having to pivot between leadership and, and, and following. Um, and you um, and there's this, just a, this weird stigma attached to being middle management like so you're dealing with the fact that there's there's no you're not you feel like you're not held in in much esteem or high, high regard because yeah, of and the, you're waiting the to stigma be cut. approach <laughs> so uh, what advice would we give I, to those stick people at it, just be Please stick at it but you said it kate you said um you need coaching and i think can i elaborate what i think um the type of coaching you need you need coaching that allows you the time and the clarity and the space to make good judgment calls because you said, and we put on the radar early on, all of this topic's about judgment. You know, judgment of priority. Where do we invest our efforts and resources? And um, and if you can't see clearly because you are so uh, busy and it's so complicated and you're in the middle of the prism, yeah. uh, then you're not going to be able to... In fact, I'm now picturing a refraction. You're, not, you know, you're actually seeing things not as they really are. Mm-hmm. And I reflect back when I was in those roles and what how did I get through it yes I don't I think I always had focus you know discipline and focus that's sort of I, I that wasn't a, really a developed and do you skill. think you could see the longer game yeah but I think what helped me through it was having a leader who was open yes. transparent and believed in me you took my answer and coached <laughs> you through the storm like okay, you have five priorities but yes you're on the right track Kate or the coaching was the bit that helped me go, okay, I can see the journey and I can execute. The, the importance of having a great leader, I just think at that middle tier of a business will make or break people coming through an organisation. So that, that's, a, that's actually career advice as well, like actually be proactive. Don't spend too much time with someone who's not believing in you or not coaching you. Find a great leader. Find a great leader. Just... It makes – what doesn't go away is the clash of priorities, is the effort and the thing, but it just makes – it makes life a lot easier and you get a lot more support. And if you respect someone, taking their message down into your people, you, you say it with conviction because uh, because you have that respect and therefore the, you respect the message, whereas you, you don't respect the person, you've got to take that message down to the troops. The troops can see it. 
They really can. As, as, as good an actor as you might think you are, people know when you don't actually believe the message that you're delivering. So the leaders are like the brains of the operation, but the middle management's like the heart. They're pumping the they're pumping the message throughout the uh, and they're, they're I, keeping I know, it keeping I, it functioning. I reckon they get underfed and underwatered. Yep. Got it. If if if, like if their heart's not in it, then what are you going to do? Mm. If the heart's not in the heart, there's nothing there. It's a vacuum. Uh, we've cracked it. We've, we've cracked, cracked it, mate. We've covered maths. We've you know covered anatomy. We didn't talk about, and we've I'm not. I'm not asking you to open it up right now. But the right stuff was a wonderful movie. Yeah, very oh, American. Um, and yeah, it's, it's quite a long film, but quite satisfying. I just wanted Wonder to what. ask. Yes. Um, what did you think we would cover, and what was new? Like, uh, I, I, just what was your s- expectation? Expectation. Reality. Do you know what I thought? <laughs> I thought we would spend more time talking about perhaps the distractions themselves, which would have been not that helpful. Mm. Like, we, we would, would have been distracting. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So yep. we could have easily gone into how do you actually navigate through uh, the political landscape, the social landscape, uh, the, the regulatory, I can't even say the word, the regulation landscape, but instead we got to the heart of it. So I'm thrilled. Okay. Yeah. Um, beautiful. So when you say we're wrapping it up, are you, you're happy, like we're just closing off this podcast. That's, you're being very gentle with me, Rick. Well, huh. <laughs> just very courteous. Just understanding, sure he knows supportive. what middle management needs. <laughs> I just, I just know structurally. You know? He's looking for the. This is a, this is a nurturing world. moment. Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, Chris just, Carroll, is there anything else you would like to offer? No, no, no. I, I, you know, I think it's true. I think you know, even as we've discussed things, some things in my mind, uh, little reminders for me of things that um, that I can and should do more of. So I've personally found it rewarding to have the discussion. Beautiful. What about you, Kate? I think it's, again, emphasising the need for a great coaching and great support. And I think that comes back to what do you invest, how do you invest in your people and what skills do they need? I feel like we said about the expectations that people have on leadership. I think this is one of them. I think we've kind of talked around that point that says now people coming through, you've got to expect that the leader can do all these things for me. Now that we've landed on, you know, it's that middle tier of the business that probably needs it more than any part of the business. And when I'm speaking to so many people in doing their, their task at hand, the moment that they find a great coach, internal, external leader, that's the thing they tell you about because it gives them permission to think. And how powerful is that? It's not the permission to say, oh, this is what, how you do your job. That's not what people relay to me. People relay, I had a moment I was supported to think. It's a growth moment. It, that's, that's right. I Where love these conversations. I love these conversations. You're so happy. You're, you're, I'm really happy. You're I a actually, in season one, I learnt so much. <laughs> like I, and season two is just season following two. the trend. It's just reinforcing. I know. I'm, I'm delighted. Thank you. It's just Thank a great you. time to be alive. No, being great, here today. Great uh, to guys, talk, you, yeah. uh, you've uh, podcasting achievement unlocked. Well done. Um, you've entertained Next me. level. Uh, no, you haven't levelled up yet. See, don't get those two confused. <laughs> you're on the verge. <laughs> you're on the verge. So um, if you're out there listening, um, stay tuned. When these two reappear on the podcast, maybe they will level up. The attention is palpable. Thank you for joining Leadership of Fools. Leadership of Fools.